Well, we have a very special guest with us this morning. Uh, it's going to be online, but nevertheless, he's a very special guest. His name is Dean Gavaris. Uh, I've had the chance to meet uh, Dean. Uh, he invited me out to have some Chipotle uh, lunch, and, and I got to know and hear his story. I know he's been supported by Garwood for many years. Uh, but something that impressed me uh, about Dean was his heart for the gospel. Uh, you know, his mission, which is, uh, you know, to proclaim the gospel among the ministry of the unborn, really, really uh, resonated with me because oftentimes we can be involved in ministries or desire to be involved in ministries that simply do good things and, and, and basically do social justice uh, among the culture. But what I love about Brother Dean is that he really has one vision, and it is about the gospel being proclaimed uh, onto every facet of this ministry. And so I'm excited to you know, pray for him and, and really um, let him share with us what the Lord has put in his heart as we think about the mission of God in the ministry of the unborn. So let me pray again as we hear God's word together. Father, thank you for Brother Dean uh, as he shares with us uh, your word. And I pray that we may uh, just open, that we may have eyes and ears open to hear what you want to say um, this morning. That Lord, uh, you through your word uh, may give us a, a different perspective um, of what you're doing in the ministry of the unborn, and, and really call us, Lord, to serve you in whatever way you want us to serve. Uh, we thank you and we ask you for your blessing, Lord, and your wisdom and your revelation. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. woman in her late 20s from Africa showed up at the Gateway Pregnancy Center many years ago. She wasn't a missionary. We're not even sure if she was a Christian. She had had two abortions, and she came to know Christ at the Pregnancy Center. She wrote me this letter a few weeks later. Thank you for your time with me when I was over last time, especially for sharing God's Word and His prayers, and especially for helping me to accept Christ. I've been ready to give him all my trust and put aside my doubts, but now I know once he forgives, I am truly forgiven. This woman had a baby, and she started attending a Bible study, and she started attending church. So you see, the sovereign God uses a crisis pregnancy center to bring a person from the other side of the world to saving faith. We see this on a regular basis at Gateway because we not only share about life, physical life, but we share about eternal life. The issue before us this morning is the sovereignty of God and the issue of abortion, how it relates to abortion. This morning, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 139. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version, verses 13 through 16. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. Follow along as I read God's word. For you did form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were written, the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God in his mercy has called us into a crisis pregnancy ministry. And God's hand is over all his creation. Our birth, our death, 
and everything in between, our emotions and every event that occurs in our life. But I believe Christians need to be motivated into helping women during a crisis pregnancy in order not only to avoid abortion, but to be exposed to the hearing of the gospel, just like that woman in Africa. This motivation only comes as we grow in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Now, the average Christian needs a better and deeper understanding of the sanctity of human life, but they also need to understand that God is sovereign in our life. So a true knowledge of and a belief in God's sovereignty will, in effect, give us confidence in achieving his purposes in a chaotic world. And I think we all know that we live in a very chaotic world. No matter what we see, no matter what we feel, God is in control. Daniel 11.32 said this, But the people who know their God will display strength. They will do great exploits. Literally, they will take action. And how do we display great strength against the evil of abortion? One of the questions I've had for years, when 18% of all abortions are by people who identify as born again, how can we defeat this great evil? Obviously, we can't change the world if we haven't changed ourselves. We need to be changed by God. And then we have to want to change. That's the desire of 1 Peter when he speaks to us about being holy as he is holy. My question this morning is, is that your desire? If it is, then you will trust in his sovereignty. You will understand God's biblical view of the sanctity of life, and you will strive to honor that in your life before you try to change the world out there. But again, how can we change the world if we're thinking like the world? This past week, for example, have you thought more about the return of normalcy to life before COVID-19 than you have of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? Thinking biblically and not worldly, we need to see the sanctity of human life by not only knowing it, believing it, and sharing it in the world with great boldness, with great compassion, with integrity and with urgency. Sovereignty is God's supreme rulership in our life. The theologian Charles Hodge said that the sovereignty of God is the basis, it's the ground of the peace and confidence that we can have in this world. And the question is, do you have that peace and confidence of God's control in your life at this time? Psalm 139, David speaks of the sovereignty of God, his omniscience, he's everywhere at the same time, of his uh, omnipotence, his power, his glory. The latter Psalms in Psalm 135 to 150 describe things like his work, his sovereignty, his goodness, his favor, his omniscience, his protection, his sanctification, his help of us in trouble his deliverance, his guidance, his rescue from danger, his ability to restore us. Then it speaks of his creation and his worthiness of praise. We have all that we need to be empowered to change our nation's thinking on abortion. But first, we have to be changed ourselves. Look for a moment at the context. Verse 1 to 16, 
We speak of the intimate knowledge that God has of you, your path, your life, your words. Isn't it interesting that inside the self-motivated, self-directed, self-absorbed life that we have is not the life God wants for us? And yet, throughout all of this, knowing all of this, God sent his son to be the sacrifice for our sins. That is love. In verses 7 to 12, the question is asked, where is God? He is in heaven, in Sheol, the uh, abode of the dead, the remotest part of the sea, the darkness. But from man's point of view, the two best places that God was, he was at the cross that Friday. He went to the cross for you and me. And then three days later, he came up out of the grave to gain victory over death and give us eternal life. This is the message. This is the message alone that can change hearts concerning abortion. This is the only message that we have at Gateway. Oh, yes, we do other things there, but the vehicle is Gateway. The message is Christ. The message is always greater than the vehicle. People need not only to change their actions and their views, they need a heart transplant. They need a spiritual rebirth. They do not just need information or reformation. They need transformation, and only the gospel can do that. It's no wonder after 47 years that in America, abortion has been an issue with nonbelievers as well as believers. Believers today still consider abortion a political or a social issue. In verse 17 to 18, God thinks of us. He has this countless precious thinking of us, and it astonishes David. It should astonish you as well that even when you're asleep, God is concerned for such an insignificant creature as you and I. In verses 19 to 22, we see David's hatred of the wicked. We see that in our country as well. We seem to hate wicked people. But do we hate wickedness? There's a difference. Often believers love to quote this verse. They forget that the kindness of God leads people to repentance. God hates wickedness, but he loves the sinner. Do you? God is not wishing for any to perish, even the abortionist, but that all should come to repentance, to a saving knowledge of him. Only the gospel can do that. We need to be sharing this as we've been commanded to do. We need to shift our attention away from the hatred of wicked people towards the hatred of wickedness. If we do, we'll have plenty of room to change, which will probably start with us. Because of wicked people's deadness and sin, we have abortion. Because of our failure to see the knowledge of God over us, we have abortion. Because of our failure to see his sovereignty over us, we have abortion. Because people need Christ first and foremost, not behavior change, we have abortion. And perhaps because Christians themselves often live their lives so close to the world, we have abortion. In verses 23 and 24, we read David's prayer. He asks and gives God permission to be tried by him. 
to know him as he really is. Do you have that prayer and desire today to allow God to search you? Have you given him permission? It's a risky prayer. It means that he's going to know your innermost thoughts, but my friends, he already does. All we're doing is admitting what he already knows about us. As his adopted children, he is interceding for you. He is caring for you, and you can have great comfort at this time. God sees and knows us, and he will punish sin. He will be the one punishing evildoers. We can trust in God's sovereignty, and when we do, with the issue of abortion, we can rest in the knowledge that God knows, God cares, God's in control, and he can handle it. He wants us, though, to be his agents of love. God is watching us, not as Bette Midler said, from a distance, but ever so close, he wants us to realize and to trust in his sovereignty. Augustine said, God is nearer than hands and feet. Luther said, God is closer to anything than anything is to itself. You have to think about that one. At Gateway, when we counsel women, we know his presence and his guidance, and we need to trust his sovereignty. Psalm 146.1, he's a very help in a time of trouble. He is near to all who call upon him in truth. To us as believers, his presence, as one theologian has said, is a warning and a restraint to the believer. Sadly, this is not often the case. Again, 18% of all abortions are by people who call themselves born again. They see no problem in abortion for certain reasons. In fact, many of our young people and their parents see no problem in young people dating non-believers. And even beyond that, in marrying non-Christians. And even beyond that, singles, Christian singles, see little problem in having sex as long as it's in a committed relationship. How can we possibly challenge and change the world to live differently when we ourselves have not come out of the world? If you think what I'm saying is too strong, too legalistic, too intolerant, too narrow-minded, you may have already rejected some of that restraint given by God for your own good. Perhaps this is why Christians leave uh, their life in a reckless manner. They fail to see the sovereignty and rulership that God should have in our life. Confidence in God's sovereignty allow us to properly minister at Gateway and in our life and to accomplish His will in the life of men and women. That's a main reason that at Gateway we do not resort to violence, to name-calling, to any uh, tactics of lying, persuasion, pressure. We don't need that. God is in control, and we are his agents of love. When they reject us, they're really rejecting God. That's the reason we're compelled to share the gospel with each and every person, because God, his will, is in Second Peter. It's a reverse. God is not willing that any should perish. That's his will not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So four different thoughts here. God weaving our inward parts, verse 13, our outward praise for him, verse 14. He weaves us in skillful precision, verse 15. And in verse 16, we see his preordained purpose. First, he weaves us. It's in stark contrast 
to those who believe in reproductive rights. God has that right. He is the only one that has the right to weave us within our mother's womb. That's why abortion is not an issue that is political. It's a biblical issue because it's an attack on the sovereignty of God. At Gateway, we see every abortion as a sad thing. But we need to know that God sees and knows and cares more than we ever will. God made us in his image. He has a high regard for us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Jeremiah says this. He was formed in the womb. Before he was formed, God knew him. Job, your hands fashioned and made me. You clothed me and knit me with flesh and bones and sinews. You, you granted me life, and with you there's loving kindness. God forms our body, our personality, our emotions, our thoughts. David says this. He cries out, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin I was conceived. And if you do this right in the Hebrew, you find that sin is within a soul. If you have a soul, you have life. If you have a soul at conception, you have life at conception. Not birth or any time in between. And that's why in Psalm 51.6, the psalmist says he desires truth in the innermost part. That goes right back to Psalm 139, the same word. We don't learn just by experience. We're given the moral aptitude at conception. So the groups like I'm not sorry or shout your abortion or you know me, these groups are denying the moral law within them. They're denying right from wrong. Yes, some women we do know who've had abortion, but I dare say you and I do not know the vast majority of women who've had abortions because they sit silently, and many of them in our churches. God knows them. God sees them. God desires they repent. God desires they be healed. Perhaps this is your story. In verse 13, we are covered over and protected in our mother's womb. That's why abortion is so horrifying, because it attacks the womb, the very area that is protected by the living God. Abortion within the womb attacks the holiness and reverence of God. And when we attack God, we attack his holiness. And God is a holy and a righteous God. And we cannot disturb this process without angering that God. First, he weaves us. Then he is worthy of our word praise. Here, fearfully and wonderfully made. Some translations say, thou art fearfully wonderful. He is so wonderful that he has made us fearfully and wonderfully. It's a work of art. When we attack the work of art, we attack the artist. You and I have been marked out. You've been distinguished. You are special to him. David uses this same word to describe the knowledge God has for him. When was the last time you thanked God for creating you just as you are? Your temperament, your looks, your emotions, you are unique and wonderful. It's interesting that the Israelites saw this as a great mystery. There you go, mystery. Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb of the pregnant woman, you don't know the activity of God who makes all things. The tone is astonishment again. 
We should be astonished when we read this passage. It has application here, and the warning is simple. As a moral being, God holds us accountable for our thoughts and our actions. When we see how wonderfully we've been made before birth, we have a greater vigor to protect the unborn, to speak up for them, to reach out to women, and to do it in love. Many believers, I think, are ignorant of what God has said in Scripture, and some, sadly, feel they can disobey without the consequences. God didn't say to Adam, you're on your own. He created him. He made him a master workman in the womb, in the theater. He wove him, and his body within a body is what we're talking about. So a woman has not a right to her own body because this baby is not her own body. It's a separate body. No one can and should decide when life ends, no matter what the circumstances. People who accept abortion for extreme cases, they simply practice situational ethics. And in fact, they don't see the scripture as being consistent. Know that the Lord is himself, he has made us and not we. Inside our soul, we know. Yet, one-third of all professing Christians would abort a baby for so-called exceptions. How easily it is to deny the clear teaching of a scriptural passage like this and the rest of scripture, and how sad it is as well. God, the overall author of life, it's his prerogative. Now, at Gateway, our mission is the gospel. It's a twofold mission to save the life of the baby, but to bring life, eternal life, to the mother. We speak to the human soul, and it's not we ourselves. We can never empower anyone because we do not have the power. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to change a heart, but we are the conduits. We are the ones who realize that the message is greater than the vehicle of the pregnancy center. So there may not be a consensus on abortion, but there needs to be an obedience on abortion. And I, I beg you, I've just done some work in England via Zoom. People there, their pastors are not speaking up for life, and people in the pews are asking, please do not hold me hostage any longer. Please, pastor, do not refuse to speak on this doctrinal issue. Please don't name it political. Please don't say it is social to ease the conscience of people in the pew. Please don't say we just preach the gospel because the sanctity of human life is part of the gospel. That's why I applaud your pastor and your church for seeing this and for seeing it for many years. Abortion is an evil that attacks the God who created life. It attacks his son, Jesus, who came to redeem us from our sins. In America, 10% of all pregnancy centers share the gospel. In England, none. There's 150 pregnancy centers. Not one shares the gospel. That's why we're trying to help them have a directive, gospel-focused message. And what drives the folks, my friends, in England is the fear all around them, the fear of opposition, similar to Nehemiah and Ezra, working with one hand and defending in another. Men and women at Gateway do not have the ability to change people, but we do have the Holy Spirit to empower them. And our desire is 
not just to choose life, but to choose Christ. God the weaver, God the one worthy, thirdly, the worker in skillful precision. Our frame was not hidden. We were made in secret. We alone have been made by a God, and we can handle that if we submit to him. If we meditate on what God has done, we will be able to respect ourselves, and in so doing, we'll be able to respect others as well. Those who are not as physically strong or perhaps as smart as us, we will see them as equal before God. As we meditate on what God has done alone, we won't despise others, those with so-called defects. And as we do that, we will enjoy the, the tapestry, the embroidery, as the psalmist says, of this world with all the various cultures. And that will be the answer to racism. You see, it's a, not an issue of skin. It's an issue of sin. Sadly, uh, we find many people long before we were asked to wear masks have been wearing a mask, keeping the world out. But we can never hide from our Creator. Verse 15 tells us our frame was not hid. We cannot hide our nature from God. This means that God sees our disguises, He sees our masks, and He still loves us. He still cares for us. And He describes the human body in this way, and the Creator is worthy of praise. Television says, look at the outer man. In fact, 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And do you know why? Because God made your heart. He made your inner being, and sin has polluted your heart. Verse 15 says, we were made in secret. We were embroidered. Sad it is that in that womb, it has now become a free fire zone where life and death battles are waged at the whims of feelings or politics or whether the unborn child will or won't be a bother to the lifestyle of its parents or to society. You and I have been embroidered, skillfully, curiously made. We have diversification. When you meditate on that, you will praise God even more, skillfully wrought in the depths. God formed us, Genesis 2-7, from the dust of the ground. Naked came I from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. Chrysia last week highlighted this in her message to women and to men. Women are image bearers to reflect God. They bring life into the world, hold a tiny baby. They're used as nurturers, life givers, and the focus is on spiritual nurturing. But I was aware, and it, it hit me when she said this. She mentioned this truth, the journey was displaced by sin. All of that good stuff was displaced by sin. Made in God's image, yet a fallen image. So now we have a right to our own body when this baby is a separate body. The baby that should be held and created by God, nurtured and protected by this loving God, received into the world, we do not receive. Our mission at Gateway is to receive the baby into this world and to introduce the woman to eternal life so that they may be received into heaven. There's an urgency. It's been underscored by COVID-19, I'm sure, to have a peace with God. People are looking for peace. 
gateway addresses that issue. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. In 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the time of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. And remember again, God is not willing that any, you included, should perish. Billy Graham has made some sobering observations. He says to delay, to make the right decision, makes the decision harder. Indecision in itself is a choice. Time decides against us. For many who've contracted COVID-19, time is running out. Perhaps you will hear his voice today. Perhaps you will place your trust in his finished work. The formation of this baby is a mystery reserved for God, but like David, we can praise God. On October 14, 1987, I remember it well because my nephew was born just three days later, little Jessica McClure, a baby, one and a half years old, fell in a well 22 feet down in the well, trapped, eight-inch diameter pipe in Midland, Texas. And for three days, this country was fixed on this rescue of this child. Today, Jessica is 34. She has two children. She lives in Midland, just two miles from that well. She reportedly has no memory of what occurred. Of course, she was a year and a half. But she still bears the scars. 60% of her right foot is removed. 13 reconstructive surgeries. And yet, as you see, a scar permanently on her face. She won't remove it with plastic surgery because she says it's a part of who she is. She said this and just three years ago. I had God on my side that day. My life is a miracle. My scars remind me that I am a survivor and that God loves me. The scars on his hands should remind us that God loves you. The scars you still bear in your life, the pain that you've had, God has forgiven. God has rescued. He dug deep into the pit, into the mire, and pulled you out, just like they pulled little Jessica out. No human eye could see little Jessica. They had to try their best to get to her. But God's eye has seen you, has followed you, has guided you. He has been there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. Even if people can't be there at the end, at your death, just like in many of these COVID cases, God is there. God is our hope. God weaves us. He is worthy of praise. He is our skillful precision maker. And finally, he has preordained purposes. He through his foreknowledge formed us. He knows our attitude, our inclination, our passion, our passion. He made the substance that we call an embryo. It's all rolled up, if you hear it in the Greek and the Hebrew. This substance that we cannot see, that people call a blob, is not a blob. In his book, they were written, the days that were ordained for us before there was one of them. Before every thought, before every word, before every action, this permanent record was made. Our desire should be to glorify God who planned, who projected, who decreed us into this world. And then we can have real happiness. Instead of seeking the world's happiness, the secret purposes of God ordained before the time this world was created. Our days in verse 16 are ordained and ordered, not just in length, 
not in events, not just in changes, but in the difficulty, like now, and in the future that we are not aware of. Psalm 90 says, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years. Due to strength, 80 years. That's from the womb to the tomb. God carries us. Often we hear that at a funeral. But God is saying he ordains every day and wants every day to be lived for him. Your physical appearance, look in Exodus 4.10. Your place in the world, Psalm 75.7. Your daily and hourly experiences, Proverbs 16.33. Your every minute of your life, Matthew 10.30. The very hairs of your head. Knowing and believing that God knows our days provokes us to step back, to allow God to take his place, to get out of God's way and allow him to attack abortion as it should be attacked, not against people, but against evil, against principalities. That's what we're fighting against. Don't short-circuit what God has already planned. Don't play into the mentality of Satan. Don't be like the world. We won't have God rule over us. Don't put God in a closet for so-called exceptions and live like the world. Do encourage men to choose life. And yes, like Gateway, do encourage them to choose Christ. People cannot be holy before God without choosing Christ in their hearts, no matter what they do about an abortion decision. Lastly, we know the times uh, of death, but we don't know the exact time. We know that Moses was told when he died. All knew it would be soon, but for us, we do not know. But it is an ordained time, even if it's by COVID-19. God directs our paths. He has a plan for you. The troubles in your life are allowed by God for a purpose. We can and we should be satisfied by the work of our hands. It's worthy work. It's ordained by God. Chrissia spoke to that last week. That's what missions is in the home. This is missions in the world, and in the neighborhood. The death of our loved ones, even our bodily decay, is in God's hand. So once you know that God weaves you and is worthy of praise and you're skillfully made and you've been preordained, you then can go to a lost world and truly with his message see people come to Christ just like at Gateway. May I ask you this? If God were to call you himself today, to himself. Would you be in heaven? Are you sure? Are you sure of the security of his choice of you? As sure as we are and as sure as I am of life and God choosing us in the womb, you can be more sure of God's protection of you, his forgiveness of you, his grace and mercy towards you, his ability to place you into heaven. Eternal security. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one can snatch them from my hand. The beginning of eternal life begins as you realize that God loves you personally. Your sin before God is already seen. His sacrifice in your place only requires repentance. And finally, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross makes the way for you to enter into eternal life. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And as you make that decision, perhaps this morning, I'd like you to view this following video.
aptly titled, What Choice Will You Make? Now you can't change your past, but you can determine your destiny by deciding for Christ. But Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong are forgiven. What do you have to do? You have to repent of your sins. That means to be willing to change your way of living. You may have no power to do it, but if you surrender to Christ, he'll give you the power. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. Come to Christ. He will give you a new strength and a new power and a new joy and a new peace and a purpose for living. Every person that ever lived has to make the same choice. It's either the world and its pleasures and its gods or it's Christ. Which is it for you? Oh yes, there's pleasure and sin for a short time. But it's soon over. The hangover comes. And there's nothing you can do about it. Choose Christ. And there'll never be a hangover except joy and peace. And it's an urgent decision because to delay makes the right decision harder. Indecision in itself is a choice. If you have a ticket for a flight to Atlanta tonight and can't decide whether to go or not, if you wait past the departure time, the choice will have been made. The plane will take off without you. Time decides if you will not. And time always decides against you. There's a lonely arena in the depths of your heart where the greatest battle of life must be fought alone. That's your decision about Christ. Your parents can't make it for you. The church can't make it for you. Your friends can't make it for you. Your girlfriend, your boyfriend can't make it for you. You have to make it yourself. And your decision, yes or no, will decide where you'll be a hundred years from now. I believe that none of you are here by accident. I believe that you're here on this particular night because this is the night that you are to meet God in a new way and receive him into your heart. If you're not sure that you're ready to meet God, if you're not sure you're going to heaven and you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, you come and make him Lord and Savior of your life. 